Tonight on Sounds from the 70s. Two cops from opposite sides of the tracks. One a real hard ass and the other with a nice soft ass. They put aside their differences to try and save the kidnapped mayor, but time is running out for all of them. And then it's Celebrity Charades with Paul Lynn and Charles Nelson Riley, all happening tonight on Sounds from the 70s. Welcome to Sounds from the 70s with Gary and Rob. Uh, <laughs> sorry, I was going to say something and then I We're, said to myself, I, yeah, I was, yeah. Uh, coming to you from the place where the mice have their yearly convention, the Winchester Building. Oh, good. I thought it was a different place. In the downtown metropolis area. Uh, you know that. Why I say downtown metropolis area, then you are free to speak. And live a life that you want to live. Not really. I was listening to Winchester building as the cue words to unleash my wild horses. No, no, no. You unleash your wild horses somewhere else. <laughs> <laughs> Not here. Oh, you know what happened today? No. In history or today? <laughs> I, uh, no. Oh, that's a good question. But no, like today for me was, okay, we're still doing the show in the afternoon, which means our producer, Uptown Mike, is not here, which is good. Yeah. Uh, you think we want our producer here, but we're happier when he's not. We just send him the checks and he doesn't interfere. Yeah. He's the only one that gets checks. We don't even get checks. That's what a good producer does. He doesn't interfere. (laughs) But uh, I was driving, uh, as you know, to to the Winchester building, which is uncommon since it's the afternoon. A little difficult to get to with all the one-way streets. Yeah. And two-way streets. (laughs) So uh, I was really grooving on a song. As the kids say, I was grooving on a song and I missed my turn. <laughs> I missed my exit, and uh, I had to go turn around. And that's I was ten minutes. I was ten minutes late. But last week I was a half an hour late, which was outrageous. But that's just because uh, I didn't give a shit last week. You know what I do mm. when you're late. I contemplate getting high and mowing the lawn, but I don't actually do it. We don't. Uh, we don't. Cont- we don't. Con- we don't. We don't. Uh, contemplate. Well, we don't. <laughs> but we also don't uh, advise for anybody while they're mowing the lawn, mowing the lawn to have before or during uh, to smoke any sort of don't substance get which can alter. Yeah. Oh, high. yeah, yeah. It uh, could be dangerous for stupid people and blind people. All right. That's enough. We don't get political here. All right. Save your political jargon for your communist friends when they hang out at your house to talk about overturning the government. You're just None of that actually happens. Rob doesn't give a <laughs> shit about anything. <laughs> I acknowledge stupid people exist. Okay. So, today is the last of our four episodes about uh, the 50th anniversary of the Woodstock Festival. And we have, we have realized, I think me and Rob have realized that the four episode thing is too long. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And it's always by the fourth episode we realize... Three is good. <laughs> three says everything we want to do. A three-episode arc of uh, a theme yeah. is really good. Four is really kind of... That's a whole month. That's a whole month. Maybe in, in four years, we'll do one of these again. <laughs> next, next leap year. <laughs> so we're going to review uh, the 1971 album from Latin rock band Santana, entitled uh, Santana 
I, I, I. Yeah, not um, three. I, actually, I, I. it's funny because the album is actually called Santana. Oh, they just put the uh, the three there to... But it was people because their first album was called Santana. So it was just the fans who called it Santana 3 or the man with the outstretched hand. I was going to say that. Yeah, <laughs> beat me to the punch. So, punch uh, me to the beating. That's, a, that's great. I, like, I just <laughs> love the man. It's like, it's like a science fiction film. Well, why don't we call the man with the outstretched hand? <laughs> <laughs> On the cover, you can see his bones, man. That's creepy. <laughs> so that's pretty cool. Huh? And, and when they re-released it, it is called Santana 3. It's like it's like the people, just Created like the Beatles the called the called the the White Album the White Album, even though it's just called the Beatles, where you actually uh, change even the people who make it into saying, yeah, that's nobody's been able to change Led Zeppelin from calling their fourth album four because it's the only album yeah. in history of recorded music to have no title whatsoever, <laughs> no title, which was a shot at the record companies and the uh, the record company and the the critics who. We're criticizing them for just naming it, you know, one, two, two and three. three. Yeah. So they said, well, screw you. It's called nothing. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You don't like the names? You can't have a name. <laughs> <laughs> you can't have a name. Print this. Okay. You know what we got? Oh, I want to just ask you real quick. How was work this week? I'll be talking about work when I do my review because the two are related. Ooh, Santana and his work are related. Yes. So, <laughs> I don't know. You know what? You know what? Your mind's racing to figure out how, and it's not coming up with anything. Have you ever seen uh, Cheech and Chong's Nice Dreams? Possibly. It's a long time ago. I know, but all the Cheech and Chong movies blend together, except for the Corsican Brothers. Oh, because they're all the same, and the Corsican Brothers, because it's in a different time era. But and they don't smoke dope. But anyways, well, it, that's not a joke. Do. It's true. <laughs> if you knew your Cheech and Chong, you know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> Um, but in nice dreams, Cheech and Chong are at a restaurant and they're eating. And then this lady comes up and she goes, Oh, I love you uh, to, to uh, Chong. She goes, Oh, I love you. You're the best. I saw you at so-and-so festival. And, and Chong's going, what the hell's going on? And she goes, Oh, Jerry Garcia. <laughs> <laughs> and then, then she's with all these girls that are, she manages, right? All these good looking girls. And they're all hovered around Chong because they think he's Jerry Garcia. So then Cheech goes, yeah, 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 man, and I'm Carlos Santana. <laughs> I always find that funny. I don't know why. Because he does kind of look like Carlos Santana in a way. <laughs> if you took the view screen and widened it just a bit. Widened it? <laughs> yeah, like uh, the old TVs. Odds and ends. Odds and ends, not uh, Woodstock stories. Oh, yeah, Woodstock stories. I am so tired of Woodstock <laughs> stories. I got, I'm just talking about all the papers that I have to bring every week. Please tell okay. me another Woodstock story. <laughs> okay, I can't find, at the moment, the Jeff Bridges Woodstock TV special. <laughs> all right? But I am confident that by next week, even though, well, it'll be two weeks from now, actually, because we're taken next week off but two weeks from now i will have found it and i will tell you well i can't tell you about it because it's not like it's going to pop up on the screen just because i found it was on i can get to the bottom of this i looked now this is i'm not going to explain this all over again because i've been explaining this for four episodes now but i'm looking for this uh woodstock special that was on tv uh, in the late 70s 
and it was hosted by Jeff Bridges, and I can't find it in the TV listings, but I've made some mistakes. And the mistake is that I have assumed, yes, assumed, assumed that was on a Saturday night, so I've only been checking the, the weekends. Saturdays. But what if? what if, because I did watch it when I was at my parents' cabin, because they had a cabin at that time. It could have at taken the place anywhere over the summer. Yes, because we spent a lot of time during the summer at the cabin. And that's where you're going to see weird things because you got time to kill. So I did look through all the listings for 78, not the whole year, but from like June until the end of August because we never went out after August. Labor, not Labor Day, yeah, Labor Day. Yeah. And then we packed everything up. You so 78 is done. So I'm this week I'm concentrating on 79, 1979, and looking at all the listings. And I swear to God I will find it, and I will prove it, and I will prove that I'm not insane. It's still starting to look more and more like 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 a dream to me. It is starting to look like <laughs> insanity, isn't it? <laughs> Are you sure it was it was it was Jeff Bridges and not not Dennis Quaid? I don't know anymore. I was so certain, and now you know how sometimes things creep in, and I've got no help from our audience. Thank you very much, peasants. So, um, if they could at least email us and tell us they have no memory of this, boy, that'd be helpful. Oh, oh. Okay, I didn't start our timer. I mean, we don't have Mike here, so I don't know what what uh, what. Could you tell us, Rob, what time we're at? We're at about uh, nine ten. Bull. Yeah, we're nine minutes into the show. Oh. Unless you count the, uh, the theme. Okay. The theme, I never count the theme because it's too good. Yeah, you're right. Um, so uh, I want to talk, of course, talk about Woodstock again for the fourth straight week. I got to, you know what? We I got the. The thing? The, this, the, a VHS player in Christmas. My parents bought me a VHS player or VCR in 84. Christmas of 82. Back when they were really big. Back when they were really big. You know what, Rob? Size-wise, no. First of all, <laughs> it's funny because 1982, you think everybody has a, a, a VCR player. Like, or very rarely, pe very rarely pe people in 82 did not have a, did they have a recorder? Sure. Because I remember going to going to school after Christmas vacation and people wanted to know, like, how does that work, man? What goes on? Like, let me see what it Wait, looks like. You know how, like, a cassette track or an 8-track works? Yeah, it's bigger. Yeah, but you think, like, you think back and you think, oh, yeah, we were all taping and stuff by, like, 81 or 82. No, 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 no. we weren't. We weren't. Uh, I guess it was mid-80s, uh, I saw. Anyways, and I was upset that I got it because I told them, oh, if you are getting me, like, a VCR, Get the you give one. it to me early because I remember the Who Fair oh. concert was on mm. December 17th. And I, I said, oh, I really loved it because it's it was simulcast on TV live. Yeah. And I really wanted to tape it, and uh, they didn't really get it. <laughs> like that's not <laughs> a big see deal. The importance of it. Yeah, it's not a big deal. So I was kind of really kind of mad in a way, but I'm happy to get it. So the first thing, the first thing I ever bought, not bought, but rented at the at the at the video store, which is funny because back then in the early in the early '83, you had to go get a membership. You had to go get a membership, but they only had like two walls. <laughs> this is true. And I think everybody who lived in that time knows what I'm talking about. There was like just two walls. You had this wall. I think you had this wall, which was VHS, just one wall. Yep. And then you had the other wall, which, which was like beta. maybe half beta. And because beta wasn't popular, yep. even though it was better quality, that was literally video stores back in the early 80s. <laughs> it, was, it wasn't until like the mid to late 80s that they had the back room. 
The back room. Right? You remember the back room? The back room. That's, that's the other, other videos. Children didn't go in the back room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so the very first, the two movies of the very limited selection that they had back then, the first two movies I ever rented for the whole weekend was Woodstock oh, and Mark's Brothers Animal Crackers. Now those, this is just by chance, but those two movies ended up being two of my favorite movies of all time. <laughs> That's just, And I'm not just saying that because they were the first two movies I rented, right? And oh, you know, caught in no. I mean, I've watched Animal Crackers probably 12 times because it's so hilarious. And I've seen Woodstock so many times. And they both, I was just lucky. I was just both, I was lucky because they were released because not many movies were released yet. No. And I was lucky be, just because uh, those were the two movies that I decided to pick. And you had, there was just the first time, I don't know if anybody remembers the first time they ever rent movies. No. Nope. But when you rent a movie for like the first or second time, you want to watch it as many times because they go, okay, you got three days. Yeah, and you so, go yeah. back and you have to rewind it. But there's a penalty. <laughs> and you had to rewind it. So I rewinded it. So I think I watched Woodstock three times in three days. And then I watched Animal Crackers three times because I was trying to make the most out of my money, which was only like two bucks a movie anyways. <laughs> That's only like a third of your allowance. I know. So, But I loved it. Like it just it blew me away. Like Woodstock blew me away. Never had seen anything like that before. And... uh and that's oh, my yeah. that's my fondest memory of Woodstock. It was the first first movie I ever rented, and just to have just to be able to take a movie home, because you know it was always they told you what was going to be on TV, and that you could do nothing about it, right? This way, you could you could watch whatever the hell you wanted. Just yeah. and of course, the first today, time you now, had you some could, sort of selection, yeah, because uh, yeah. before that it was like uh, the schools with the uh, the big reel to reel projectors that the. Uh, They'd show those science films on. Well, yeah, you had no choice what you watched, the midnight movie or whatever. You had no choice of what you to sort of, and then you could actually own it if you, of course, at that time, it cost like $120 to own a movie. <laughs> but you could even own it, which was, I mean, if you didn't live in that time, you think, well, what, what's the big deal? But I'm telling you that that was a big deal back then because your whole life up to that point was everybody telling you what to watch. And as far as the TV stations were concerned and when it was on yeah. and you just hopefully that week there was a good movie to watch or whatever. But now you could choose. And now, of course, you got streaming and you could just press a button and say, I'll watch this this week. And it's the world has totally changed. It's as revolutionary as like being able to buy books. It was like buying books all over again. <laughs> I don't know what that means. <laughs> it was like buying a book. You know, and then reading uh, it, and then buying it again. <laughs> <laughs> I own this. Maybe I'll let you read it. Maybe I won't. So, <laughs> you know, that's funny because my first uh, time seeing Woodstock was uh, we had one of the the laser disc players, mm -hmm. and I got it out of the library. Oh, really? And the first little bit was pretty good, but after that, it skipped. <laughs> <laughs> It skipped a lot. Uh, laser discs, if anybody remembers, are a lot like our big versions of compact discs, and they can skip like a CD. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Once they start to go, they, they don't usually get better. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Once it starts skipping, it never usually, you know, just yeah. like with a CD, and you the don't well, hope is, that it's going to get better because it gets worse. As much as it's a laser uh, going on a disc and nothing contacts it, it seems to me the places in the movies that um, uh, skipped were the places that were the really interesting parts. Did you guys have a laser disc player at home? We did. Uh, Leanne uh, got it from one of her uh, boyfriends there. Uh, he was a sound man at the time. 
Oh, I never knew that. I'm yeah. saying that because I, I was, I was over of... there like every day. Getting for stuff like from 10 the libraries. <laughs> That's funny. Okay. Um, this is before I came over all the time, obviously. Before you came over from Europe. Yes. And learned our language. So um, <laughs> I'm going to skip this because we're kind of running short of time. I just like I skipped it last week. All this Woodstock stuff is. Uh, we're at 15 minutes. Uh, maybe I can squeeze Mike, it in. Mike has just I've signaled me through through his mind. Through his mind. You know, I'm not <laughs> going to because we got to. Uh, we're not going to do that segment. We'll do it next week. Uh, I've got another segment also that I've been. Uh, I got two other segments, let alone this one that this I. This is like from weeks ago that I've been put on the back burner because of this damn Woodstock thing, and <laughs> because we have to we have to talk to our friend Bora Bora in Paris. <laughs> He takes up so much time with his comments. This is like triage on MASH, where you got to decide which bits you can save and which got to be let go. Yeah, which, uh, which patient you save and which, <laughs> which you just got to pray for. So um, Get in, Father Mulcahy. We tried, we tried desperately to actually talk to Bora Bora this week from France. Uh, he refused to talk to us. But he did send us the, his comments of the third day of the Woodstock Festival, which we're happy to have. They were accurate and true to life. We'll find out. Um, So the third day, day three. Actually, the funny thing was that the third day, like Joe Cocker came on and he performed a really long set. And then that was it for like, like the whole, almost the whole day was like one act because the Jefferson Airplane played in the morning, right? They played like, I don't know, real early in the morning. And then they took a huge break and then Joe Cocker came on. Uh, about the afternoon, I can't remember what time, mm. noon, one o'clock, and then right after that it rained. So by the time the next act, Country Joe and the Fish, it was like six o'clock already. So Jeez. really, from like from like eight o'clock in the morning or whatever until six, there was just one act, which was Joe Cocker. I demand my money back. Exactly. So uh, our correspondent in France, Bora Bora, says that Cocker, already known in Britain, but not yet in the USA. Well, this would be a good introduction. <laughs> he was a oh, he was a hit. Oh, well, he was. That festival made Joe Cocker almost a overnight sensation. Unfortunately, he passed at two p.m. <laughs> That's what Bora Bora said. He passed Jeez. at two p.m. <laughs> I should have sent some flowers. <laughs> uh, several hours after the airplane, uh, which would be the Jefferson airplane, which would normally have played into the night, but not at breakfast. It's so snippy. <laughs> it's like it's their fault they're playing at breakfast. It's not good breakfast music. <laughs> Cocker was at the time the English and male counterpart of Janis Joplin. I don't I don't agree with that. The one and the other were only performers. I don't know what that means. Mostly covers. Oh, they just did mostly hey. cover songs, even though they did write a little bit. Okay, that's what he meant. Uh, and want, both wanted to be singers of soul, uh, and played <laughs> and played on the groovy hippie image. So both Joe Joe Cocker and Janis Joplin were just playing groovy hippies. They uh, weren't really that. I do remember the tie dyeing. Yeah, he had the tie dye T shirt. He did. Um, but Cocker's group, which was the Grease Band, by the way, assured that Joplin's set was lamentable at best. <laughs> <laughs> they do that did they sabotage the equipment and most importantly cocker was really soul 
while Joplin was just a character. Oh, that is so wrong. <laughs> I love Joe Cocker, but don't knock Janice because she had more soul than half of rock music at the time. So boy, boy she got more soul in her pinky finger than you do in a five mile radius around you. Ouch, correct, but ouch. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Cocker's set was very good and was a reminder uh, that it was one of the few highlights of the festival. <laughs> Out of a three-day festival that is legendary, it was only one of the few highlights. Uh, with the famous cover of with, La- with a Little Help from Our Friends, of course. Yeah, so he liked Joe Cocker. He liked Joe Cocker. Hell of a lot more than like Janet Shop. It does come as a bit of a surprise. In fact, a complete surprise. Then I thought the, I had Bora Bora figured out. After the rains came... As the Bible says, uh, the rain interrupted the festivals for several hours, as Bora Bora has just written down. It was during this break that a handful of jokers <laughs> improvised the famous song of the rain. Ooh, ooh, ooh I, I don't know. I, I remember how it jokers. goes, but it doesn't go like that. A bunch of jokers. <laughs> <laughs> you mean the guys Batman was fighting? Note note that in France, this song became late nine in the late nineties uh, a hit. Really? I don't believe that. I think he's making that up. Oh, he, when they went like oh, 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 they did that at the Woodstock. That's what he did. That's you can make the rain go away with positive vibes, man. They didn't. It didn't happen. <laughs> Somebody had stepped um, on a spider. Uh, you, you know French friend, okay? <laughs> I don't know what that means. You know French friend. Do you know a French friend? Um, every time you hear, see, he just keeps on going about this whoa, 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 <laughs> and he won't talk about Country Joe and the Fish. In short, return to Country Joe, but this time with his band, The Fish, uh, a set without surprises, especially marked for the second time in the festival by the Gimme. He says has F, but that's that's French. Give me an F, give me a U. This is funny. Give me a C, etc. He's only got one more thing to say, which is give me a K. But instead of that, he says etc. <laughs> oh, Bora. That's got to be a, it's a matter of good taste. That's why he's doing it. <laughs> it's a matter of good taste. So he didn't like Country Joe and the Fish. Uh, then up, up next was 10 years after. I got to be quick here. Um, an oh, English yeah. group, an English group which specialized in covers playing blues rock, man. And uh, 10 years after, made a catastrophic benefit. I don't know what that means. And was quickly shortened. I guess there's, I don't know what that means. <laughs> a catastrophic benefit. <laughs> I'm here to help you, but in a terrible way. <laughs> <laughs> the humidity was such that the instruments were constantly detuned. The sound was so much and more. I don't know. And the sound only worked on the last piece. I don't think that's true. A medley tribute to the rock and roll 50s, which is the going home. I'm going home. My babe. That's a good song. That is the greatest groove in all of rock and roll. Yeah. And again, without the drums. Yeah, they had to over they had to overdub the drums because they didn't get the sound they wanted from the drums. Uh, so, I don't like uh, that. Yeah. So that's what he said. Bora Bora is finished. He didn't like it 10 years after. Surprise, surprise. Uh, the band. A very big size there. <laughs> I don't know what that means. Maybe the band, there's five guys there. That's a lot, man. That's a lot to have on stage. 
the band was aided by his association with Dylan. Oh, well, yeah. And his first album released the year before since his... Wait a second. He thinks the band is a, a, an individual? No, he says they. Oh, okay. Oh, where was I? I heard a couple of he's. And that has been... The band was aided by... Oh, yeah, he, you're right. You're right. <laughs> he said, okay, the band was aided by their association. You're right. He, he did write his, his, yeah. With Dylan and his first album, Dylan's first album, released the year before. No, that's not wrong. And th- you're right again. And their first album released the year before that had been a hit in the public as well as critics. They went on stage around 10 p.m. for a good, but not an unforgettable set. <laughs> It was good, but uh, I have no memory of it. <laughs> and really, I remember making a mental note at the time it was good, and then I forgot everything else. Everything he says is like when he even says good things, like, oh, that was a good set, but, but not too good. <laughs> <laughs> I always expect more. <laughs> so then uh, Johnny Winter was on with, uh, he says with Edgar Winter, I don't remember Edgar Winter being there, but anyway, the albino bluesman. That's what I like to be called. Oh, the albino bluesman. <laughs> well, my, my my official blues name is Blind Cave Fish, so I don't know if you can be the albino blues man. He made a good set. He made a good set. That's what he wrote down. He made a good set. It looked really nice. <laughs> Did he play well? Did he make his songs well? <laughs> he was leaning on a few pieces by his brother. That's not true. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's not. Edgar Winter hadn't even been writing songs yet. Not enough to break... Th- okay. This is what he wrote about Johnny Winter. You ready? Not enough to break three legs to a duck, but a great job. <laughs> break three legs to a duck. <laughs> Gotta use that. <laughs> that is something you can use at work. Well, it's not enough to break three legs on a duck, but. Uh... Unfortunately. <laughs> that's stupid. Unfortunately, <laughs> it was midnight when the set started and the crowd began to fade. <sighs> With a good part of the audience not wanting to be late the next day at college or office or just at dad and mom's. They're hippies. <laughs> They're hippies. They're hippies. Come on, man. They're on a hippie schedule. Bora, bora, lighten up. Holy God. smoke. This guy is starting to strike me as possibly uneducated. <laughs> An uneducated Frenchman. <laughs> so uh, next up was, but I got to hurry, uh, Blood, Sweat, and Tears. Uh Sorry, that was my own opinion. Uh, Blood, Sweat, and Tears was a very... Oh, he liked Blood, Sweat, and Tears. Now, that tops it. Blood, Sweat, and Tears was a very good group. Innovative and catchy. Really, Barbara. (laughs) (laughs) I'll have to talk to you later, after the show's over, about ways that you can tell me how they were innovative and catchy, and maybe even how they were good. Um, But uh, they will go on on stage around 1.30 a.m., and... (laughs) Maybe I'm and their set will be dismal. <laughs> so maybe I, maybe I was greatest. He loves he was blood, using sweat, and tears. He loves blood, sweat, and tears as a band for whatever reason. I don't know, but he thought their set was dismal. Okay, now I get it. Because every set there, except for two or three, was dismal. Was dismal. <laughs> the saxophonist will say later that it was the worst concert of their career. The singer David Clayton Thomas, being even off key. I don't know how you can be even off key. <laughs> only time will that will happen to him. Oh, the only time that David Clayton Thomas will ever be off key. He was perfect from that point on. <laughs> he had achieved godlike status <laughs> for his on keyness. Oh. <laughs> Needless to say, 
they joined the long lists of artists who refused to make their performance public because it was a disgrace to mankind. <laughs> <laughs> so next, we're get, getting near the end of this whole Woodstock thing. Mm -hmm. Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young, who did not want to be on the in the film. Not Crosby, Stills, and Nash, but Young. Um, <laughs> they were kind of a super group, I guess. <laughs> were they arguing on stage? <laughs> uh, he just says they're sort of a super group. Composed of personalities from other successful bands. We know all about that. Blah, 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 blah. They went on stage around 3 a.m. They made an acoustic set. Look, look at our acoustic set. Isn't that nice? We made uh, this. We made yeah, it. Wood shop. <laughs> and, and another electric one. A good <laughs> Californian folk rock man. Uh, not played sang exceptionally they would do much better later yeah they, and uh neil young completed the group during the acoustic set but found his well he didn't find his performance mediocre he just didn't want to be in the film <laughs> so he liked crosby stills dashing out which is nice, never seen nice. the neil young woodstock footage paul butterfield blues band okay a good group of uh, white blues, unfortunately, already a little leached at the time of Woodstock. <laughs> you know, and back in those days where they put the leeches on you. Yeah. And then you'd go on stage, and if they did too much, oh, you'd be leached. You'd be all white and pale. <laughs> I need some blood. The leeches took too much. I know what you mean, man. They've been leeching off me for years. See, you can't complain like that to hippies. They hey, don't understand. By 1983, we discovered that that didn't work. <laughs> oh, pretty soon we're going to stop using maggots. Uh, the set <laughs> consisting of covers of blues and R&B was honest. Nothing more. <laughs> uh Going on stage on Monday at 6 a.m. was also not done to motivate. No, I don't think it was done to motivate them. <laughs> you know what? You know what would be a good idea? We put you on stage Monday morning, 6 a.m. Man, that'll get your gears going. Oh, the crowd! <laughs> the crowd slept all the previous day in the rain. Yeah, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta read this because they were there. But Sha Na Na. <laughs> were they the closers? No, uh, they were just before Jimmy. Oh, okay. Fuckers. I, I mean, you didn't come to I Jimmy, mean, that's good right. group. Uh, 50s semi-serious mid-comic revival band. That's about the nicest thing you can say about them. <laughs> I wouldn't say that. Uh, Shana, this is this is great because I don't understand this at all, but I want everybody to listen to this. Shanana made his butter distracting the 30 plus. <laughs> <laughs> if anybody knows what the hell that means, please email us at soundsfromthe70s. I think made their bread and butter by distracting people of a 30 plus age group. Please don't write in. We have an answer. <laughs> <laughs> That's my guess. Mm -hmm. In 1969, there was still no 40 plus nostalgic music uh, of their youth. So that's why uh, they very good, Rob. Oh, I... So that's why they bombed. <laughs> no, they were just bad. Anyways, uh, in Woodstock, they left the audience of marble. <laughs> Oh, God he can... left them audience and marble. If God can turn him to pillars of salt, <laughs> maybe Sean Anak can turn him to marble. <laughs> he turned him to marble. Especially as the few people who were waiting for Hendrick's set to finally return home. Yes, we were waiting for Jimmy to return home. Uh, maybe they He's home. just flying by Zeppelin. Oh, then, so they could return home. Okay. 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 So, total flop then. <laughs> yes, I could have told you that before Sean Anak even went on stage. It would be a total flop. <laughs> <laughs> so, the crowd um, didn't dig it. 
Hey, this sounds like our parents' music. We're rebelling against that. Man. And that's it. Uh, Jimmy said, everybody loved Jimmy said. I, uh, Bora Bora didn't, uh, I didn't get that. I didn't get what Bora Bora, but he loved, you know what? He loved you. We'd like to thank. <laughs> Maybe uh, I was wrong about this Bora Bora. <laughs> <laughs> he liked one of the acts. Uh, we want to thank Bora Bora in France for uh, helping to contribute to our special Woodstock 50th anniversary celebrations oh. and lighten up, my friend. <laughs> a, a brilliant bit of badly translated writing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Nicely yeah. said. Don't you spit your drink out on the computer. <laughs> I got evil ways in my head, eh? <laughs> I do. I've had it in my head for like a whole week, and everything I do is just like, you got to change your evil ways. So, um, and that's not even, like I said before the show, I was telling Rob, that's not even on the album that we were reviewing this week. That's from the first Santana album called Santana. Even though the third album was also called Santana, it was soon changed by the fans to Santana 3, or The Man with an Outstretched Hand. I like that one. I like that. That's science fiction-y. I did, that's even a title I would use. Like, what's your new album? Oh, the man with an outstretched hand. <laughs> they won't ask. They won't ask too many questions after you say that. <laughs> no, I got it. I got it. So this was a 1971 album. Um, we don't. Just before we go into that, I just want to say real quick, we haven't had any segments in like a month <laughs> because we've done this Bora Bora thing and we've done a whole lot of Woodstock segments, but we haven't done any of our old segments. Nope. In so long, I don't even remember what the... changes are coming. Yeah, we're going to have to listen to the old shows to find out what we're doing. <laughs> but all that stuff is coming back in two weeks when we are on our next show. Um, and uh, we're not going to do any more four-week um, themes. <laughs> Four-part themes because they're always one week too long. <laughs> so we will stick to two and three weeks. So Santana, well, they were formed in late 60s in San Francisco, and um, uh, by Carlos Santana, who's a Mexican, by the way. And got all the way, I didn't mean all the way up to that. San Francisco, but I didn't mean anything. It. it was just pretty cool. I could change <laughs> voices like that to say he's Mexican, by the way. And uh, great band, uh, Greg Raleigh on uh, keyboards, organ, love the Hammond organ. Uh, Neil Sean, for, well, Neil Sean yeah. joined for this album. That was the, the thing that guitar. kind of okay. That the, the San Francisco thing makes sense now. Yeah, the double, the double guitar was really cool for this album. Uh, David Brown on bass, the late David Brown, unfortunately. The great Michael Shreve on drums. Yeah. Uh, just a, this is just a great. Unfortunately, this is their last album as this as the original band until like forty five years later when they got back together to make Santana 4 just a couple of years ago. <laughs> and uh, and they still did good. The album did really well. It took four. There's a lot of bad blood. Um, I'll get to that in a minute. Yeah, that's yeah. why. That's, that's what why I wanted to ask you about. These guys play so well together. Why they break up? Yeah. And for 45 years. It's like, seriously, <laughs> 45 years. Like, wow. Um, and Mike Carabella on Conga. And uh, Jose Chepito Arias. That's his right. name. I'm not joking. And uh, and it's pronounced like that on Spanish is. television. On Spanish television, El Mundo. Protection Grandiolata Grande. Oh, Miguel. <laughs> Blanco. <laughs> so, um, uh, what was I saying? Oh yeah, and then uh, they found a manager in the late '60s with the 
promoter, famous Bill Graham. Graham. Everybody, everybody, well, not, I'm just going to say everybody loves Bill Graham. That's not true. <laughs> you either loved Bill Graham or, or he yelled at you all the time. Frank Zappa talking about him on an album about uh, closing down the Fillmore East or something. Yeah, he was one. Yeah. Uh, he, uh, Zappa and the Mothers of Invention were one of the one of the last bands to play the Fillmore East. The last band to play Fillmore East was Santana, right. and their set is covered on the expanded edition of the oh, CD. That's wild because I got a Humble Pie album live at the Fillmore East, and inside on some of the uh, the photos there, there's a picture of the actual um, uh, sign above the. Uh, the Fillmore East, uh, the one that juts out, and they put on those uh, the letters, and uh, they had all the different acts that were playing there that last yeah. month, and yeah, it blew me away. They used to do that. They used to they used to have that sign outside of the Fillmore East. Sorry, Santana closed the Fillmore West. I made a mistake, and that was Fillmore East closed about two weeks before the Fillmore West, and Santana closed both Fillmores. Uh, Almond Brothers closed the Fillmore East. Two weeks earlier, and then Santana closed officially the the Fillmore West, and there was no more Fillmores. But these, what I was get, what you were talking about is that they used to have these, oh, these, this huge marquee at yeah. at the Fillmore East, where it would say, oh, by the way, next week on Tuesday we're going to have Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young, <laughs> and then uh, uh, with an opening act of Miles Davis, and uh, we're oh. going to have this and that, and it was like. Oh my God! These these they have better acts in a week than we get in like three years, as far as nowadays. Like, yeah, I was smokes. looking at the just it had a month's worth of the uh, the listings, and, uh, and I, that's when I remember seeing it. And you go like, I like to go that one and that one and that one. Oh, I'm going to all of them <laughs> if I if I had the choice. Heck, I even wanted to see Moby Grape. <laughs> <laughs> Moby Grape's great, actually. Uh, it's a beautiful day is another thing. So. <laughs> Um, so they released their, well, they went to Woodstock and this was a funny story because Santana was not supposed to be at Woodstock, but Bill Graham being Bill Graham, love Bill Graham. Uh, we miss him. He's such a character, but, oh, I was supposed to look this up and I forgot the band that was supposed to play, uh, uh, that other band. I'm sorry, I was supposed to look this up because I had just read this about a month and a half ago and I thought I would remember it. I was supposed to look it up before the show started. I forgot. The band that, that was supposed to play, um, what what Bill Graham did because he managed Santana, was he, he made them sign a contract to play the Fillmore, one of the Fillmores that weekend of the Woodstock Festival, so that he could get Santana on his bill, which was on the bill, which is which his Get him own into band. New York. Yeah. Yeah, so, uh, damn, I wish I could remember the band. Um, I'm sorry about that. Uh, but, uh, so he snuck Santana. They hadn't released an album yet. Their album was finished, but it hadn't been released yet. I think another month yet. And they just killed. They had one of the most famous sets at Woodstock, if not one of the most famous sets ever in rock and roll history. Yeah. They just, when I saw the Woodstock movie the first time. Santana's the, the one I've re- that I distinctly remember. That's the one. I remember that's the one I remember. A lot of others, but Santana, that uh, that held you. That's the one where I watched and I said, "Holy!" And there was a lot of performances that made you go, "Holy!" Yeah. But that was the one. Like a week after, I was still in my head was the Santana performance because it was Soul Sacrifice. It was just mind blowing, just mind blowing. And Michael Shreve on the drums is like. This kid was like 17 years old or something, and he was just like, 
did this solo at the end and it was like not like a drum not like a drum solo it was like a rhythmic yeah, yeah it you was know almost like, uh reminded me of a, the more of the symphony orchestras just a bit uh in its complexity at the it had parts. It had parts. <laughs> it had it parts. Had parts. That's exactly right. Every part was was not just hey play man. Like it was like okay this is where you play and and then people would come up with with parts rhythmic yeah melodic <clears throat> parts and it was just it was mind blowing how good this this set was and especially uh, Soul Sacrifice and anyways this band was like humming at this point uh, right after that of course their album was released and people bought it and then. Abraxas came out with Black Magic Woman and uh, and uh, and then the one I got and uh, the the one that everybody has. I don't have number one. I got two copies of that one. Well, I uh, I can't get <laughs> flea market. I had we had Abraxas. We had Abraxas. This is a true story. One of the few albums we had in my house when we were growing up because this is before my slightly older brother and I started buying the records because we were the musicians and the, the music. Nuts. Wait a second. Didn't that have an album cover that wasn't for children? I'm getting to that. <laughs> so we had one of the few albums we had like, like black Sabbath. I think I mentioned we had black Sabbath's first album, like Abbey road, which is cool because we actually had the very first editions of those albums. And until my mom moved, we had those there. They were there. I mean, they're worth a lot of money now. The very first oh, editions, yeah. and when like when they were bought in like '69. Uh, anyways, and one of the other albums was one of the few albums because my older brothers did not listen to music. They weren't music fans and still aren't. <laughs> but was Santana Abraxas, and I swear to God, I disliked that album cover. And I saw it listed as one just recently. I saw it listed as one of the top hundred album covers of all time. And for some reason, I just dislike it. I think it's an ugly, ugly cover. And that's why I've never played the album. <laughs> <laughs> for 50 years, I've never played that album because I really dislike the album cover. And uh, and that we're going to get into it. there. I do have a future episode where I'm going to talk about the the commerciality of album covers, not the commerciality, but the art of album covers about why it's so important to have good album covers, because just yeah. like me and psychologically, sometimes you will not, not only not buy an album that you think looks ugly, but you won't even listen to it. A lot of the sixties albums with those sixties albums covers um, where, you know, it's just a picture of the band or the, uh, the singer on the front. And on the back, there's uh, somebody writing about uh, how great this guy is. And uh... Oh yeah. They always had in the sixties, uh, especially in the early to mid sixties. That was like just album cover for promotion. They used to have the promotion on the back, the publicity. I yep. saw this band. I thought it wasn't was art. It was song. a commercial. Yes. And that's, <laughs> That's, that's that may have been commonplace back then, but it sure turns you off when you're yeah. in later years when you yeah. read it. You go, "What the hell? Why somebody's trying to sell me something? I don't want to be sold no soap." <laughs> <laughs> That'd be cool though if they sold soap in the back. <laughs> By the way, while you're buying this album, you get the new soap that we have, Santana soap. Um, so uh, the third album came along. There was tensions. Now you have to remember that. Santana, when it started, was not Carlos Santana and a band. It was a band. It was Santana. Yeah, I was looking at the writing credits, and there's uh, some of these songs uh, written by uh, most of the band, and uh, I don't see Santana's name on them. It's like, uh, not what? too many. Not too many. And that was a great, especially Greg Raleigh, who 
was really the co-leader of the band uh, along with Carlos. And they asked him at the time that Santana got back together a couple of years ago to make Santana 4. It's funny that they call it Santana 4 because, of course, Santana has released like 35 albums since then. But this was <laughs> this the fourth the, album by the, the band. The band, the, uh, the band that got into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. All these guys were, were the ones who played. And um, he said, did it ever bug you that the band was called Santana? And you knew that it, and you knew that it did because <laughs> it was a great name for a band, but he also realized that it shone a spotlight on Carlos Santana. It made it look like it was him it was and him, not the band. Yeah. So he kind of said, well, it's a better name when you think about it than Rolly, <laughs> which big, was his name. Big problem with the Alice Cooper band. Yeah, exactly. So tensions <laughs> tensions were rising because everybody, everybody thought that it was Carlos Santana. And it just wasn't true. Very bad. Like you can, you can tell. Yeah. And it actually. Be- Listening to this. Holy crap. They're all so good. And, and yeah, this band is, this band, like, holy smokes. If you, if, if, if there were some people out wondering why they made such a big deal out of reuniting after 45 years and calling their album Santana 4. Well, listen to the first three albums and then <laughs> listen to all the Santana albums after. And you realize yep. why this band is so heralded. And just uh, before we get into the review of the album, I know we're really running late, but um, I was going to say that that actually when the band started leaving and the members started leaving, which was after this album, a couple would leave. Greg Raleigh left and then Michael Shreve left after the next album and, you know, nobody was left after that, is that the band did come become Carlos Santana and his backing band. Um, yeah, and I don't think that's Carlos's fault. I just think that uh, uh, the way it, things worked out, it, and that uh, yeah. once again having the spotlight, which is why I think these three at first three albums are so deadly, is because is because it is a band, and you can tell that it's not yeah. like when you listen to Carlos Santana song, and I, I you know, like I don't want to pass that period, pass that period, yeah, which is most can, of what I've been exposed to on the radio, and I kind of judged him from that. But Rob, yeah, exactly. I thought the Woodstock performance was just an anomaly. Exactly, exactly, <laughs> Rob. That's exactly my point. And when you listen to something like that, like a song like Post This Album, right? What you get is a, a, a bunch of people playing and just Carlo kinda, Carlos kind of like waiting for his solo or playing in between the guitar yeah. lines. And it's very generic. And it's very like, uh, I don't, I'm not, I'm not, it's not the point not contributing, but now I'm the lead guitar player and I just play what I want. Well, here he's doing a whole bunch of shit. And this yeah. album, he's like there. He's trading with Neil Sean on this with with solos, and he's playing rhythm, which you don't usually hear him do. I think he rarely plays rhythm in this band. Now, uh, he always just kind of like like if you listen to a song like Smooth with Rob Thomas, yeah, and he's, he's just playing, the, he's just uh, soloing, uh, like it's just it's just like yeah, this is where I should solo, so I'm gonna solo. Now I'm not knocking that because it's a great song and everything, but it, it's not like th- these first three albums, which were very democratic in. Yeah. Like Santana just I'm looking at the producer credits. It's uh, the whole band producer. The whole band producer, <laughs> yeah. And I don't mean, like, you, you can see that every man, every person is like producer, you know? Yeah. Like, you know, Greg Rowley's producer. It's like, I really What a cool. great idea. I mean, you cut out uh, one more guy who's pulling you in a different direction and just did. It, oh, yeah. Boy, it'd make a lot smoother this uh, is, recording. This is one hot album. <laughs> We're going to get to the review now, but this <laughs> is a great freaking album. This. First time I listened to it, because it's not, you know, it's not music that I, I hear too often, the Latin kind of rock, uh, even though I, you know, so it takes, 
it took me one or two listens because I really liked it the first time I listened yeah, to it. And yeah. Then I liked it more, and then I liked it more. <laughs> then like then I'm going gaga over it because <laughs> it's just so so much energy and so much brilliance from everybody. Like everybody, just like brilliant. To finish, not a weak moment on the album. Not a weak moment on the <laughs> album, and I also didn't know that Santana was so instrumental. And that may sound stupid. That's right. Yeah. I, I, you, all you hear on the radio is their songs with vocals, but, but there's only like two songs or something, three songs that have vocals on here, and uh, and you don't mind. Like and you even don't even think of it. Vocals, you don't think of it as, as all instrumental. Even almost. the ones with vocals have longer um, uh, stretched out performances. Yeah, they're just almost, especially on uh, uh, no one to depend on, which almost has like they they kind of sing that chorus and then it's like okay go. <laughs> okay that's the hard part free run run i do have to admit though the song taboo uh with greg raleigh singing it's 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 a slow blues latin blues oh man it's just killer because you don't hear like santana do like a, a slow blues all yeah. like, up tempo song i was trying to find out who's the vocalist and uh we got a few vocalists well greg raleigh really sings most songs but I, I do i did detect one or two different voices in there i could be wrong but i thought that, i thought I detected two at least yeah so uh but that that taboo just blew me away i was going like wow that that's what i, I wish santana would sound like for the last 40 years <laughs> you know what i mean and i'm not yeah. knocking santana after this album because it's still good music of the stuff that I've listened to, but, but this, it's nothing like this. This, this is amazing. Incredible. I hate to sound like a French reviewer, but uh... <laughs> <laughs> you know, and the thing that I got is that they didn't fart all over the place. <laughs> yeah, they did not uh, fart their rope. <laughs> I was expecting that somewhere along the line these guys would fart a rope, and they never did. They never did. <laughs> um, I I really no. have a hard time actually, other than taboo and no one to depend on. Oh, Toussaint Low Overture was just magnificent at the, the end of the first side, right after Taboo. The first side is just <laughs> takes your breath away. It's so um, musically magnificent. It really is. The second side isn't as strong, but that doesn't mean it ain't excellent. <laughs> it just means that the first side was so blazingly brilliant. Um, I don't know. What did, what did you? I just, wow. I just, I just, I got the, I got the bee's knees because, over I this got, album because my perception of Santana, which has been yeah. pretty much my whole adult life, has been what the radio has presented to me. Uh, I gained a whole new respect from this. Like, wow! Ditto. That's what I gained from this. So that's this the is biggest Santana. thing I gained. This, <laughs> that's exactly, Rob, it's so funny. But that's exactly what I gained. If I gained nothing other than the brilliance of this album was just I've been completely wrong about how Santana started and what, I, and what they were really about. And, yeah, exactly what you said. Now i got to get one and four. <laughs> <laughs> i got to listen to that to Abraxas because uh, I, I haven't listened uh, I to it because say, of the damn album I cover. mostly listened to side one. I never listened to side two. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, just like you said, it just changed my perception of Santana like that. Boom. You know, Holy. it was like. Now I know why he's in the Hall of Fame. Now I know why he's one of the best guitar players ever. Greg, oh, yeah. I love, I love music. It, it makes me wonder why didn't I hear more of this on the rock stations growing up? Oh, I know. You know what? The, what? 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 When we were growing up, we just heard stuff like Evil Ways and Black Magic Woman, and that was about yeah. it. Um, a lot of, for some reason, a, a lot of the stuff that 
I think was played on a lot of other FM rock stations. Weren't played on ours for some, I don't know why, but we didn't get the deep cuts. Um, we don't have a huge Latin population here. Maybe that's why. I don't know, but... Uh, Maybe they thought they were scaring people. Scaring people away. <laughs> but we just got the hits. So we just we never really had any deep cuts. And uh, yeah. you know what? This is a completely... Soul Sacrifice is not a, a one-off from the Woodstock yeah. Festival. This is an album of Soul Sacrifices. <laughs> <laughs> and it's... I it's never in my wildest dreams imagined that, uh, you know, I thought that was uh, a pinnacle of music they did at the Woodstock. And uh, they ain't going to match that. They... Did. But I did for at the I, I did for forty years because mm. the music that I heard from them was not this mm. on the radio. So I did think, wow, they just kind of we were a young, energetic band and really gave her, and then they kind of settled down. And they didn't. That was the misconception. And maybe that's the saddest. If there's anything sad about it, is the reputation. Maybe. Oh, at least yeah. the, maybe it's not. Maybe it's only in our perception. But I but hope you know, it's now not. Now that I think about it, it's the Santana band here. The uh... It's the Santana. That's the difference. Is yeah. the, it's the Santana band Carlos compared Santana, to Carlos he's Santana. Very good. He was one piece of this band, which was all very good. When they all made decisions, and it wasn't like Carlos. And I'm not saying that Carlos. Carlos is a great guy. If you've ever heard Carlos Santana talk, very spiritual, very much a, a really incredible guy to to listen to talk about music yeah and i was flipping through youtube a few uh, weeks ago and um, uh, i stumbled across he was given a i don't know i think a 20 minute or half hour lesson and he was talking for the first five minutes like ah, this guy knows his stuff he does like he knows <laughs> he's a very very smart man and he doesn't look like a, a dictator of a band at all but when all but when all the the main participants of the band solely start leaving uh yeah. and you're the guy that's left you start to make the decisions and there's nothing wrong with that that's what happens and uh santana just became carlos santana and a guy a bunch of guys great guys as far as musicianship he never got like bad players but it was different you know it wasn't a collaborative effort anymore as much as yeah. it, maybe it was in a way but not as much definitely as when they were a band called santana and Greg Raleigh's big thing is that we never should have called us Santana. Yeah, I was wondering about that. If they'd call themselves a different name, they might have stayed a lot longer. History would have been different. Yeah, but Rock that's, that's the way that's the way things. You know, that maybe that's the way it was supposed to be. But uh, I love I, this album. I love this album. I give it, I give it four and a half, and that's that's uh, that's being pretty uh, pedestrian. <laughs> I actually, I can give it a five for. Uh... It just it blew my mind. Are you telling me that you, Robert, are giving an album five stars? I'm not. I'm not saying. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was, yeah. I, I, maybe a half a star is, uh, is just for. Uh, no, I'm not criticizing surprise, the surprise of discovery. <laughs> but, <laughs> oh yeah, you know what? That's a good point. Yeah. Sometimes <laughs> I'm not saying that it's a four and a half star record because who cares whether it's four and a half or five? Yeah. People's opinions. Screw them. Right. But <laughs> but sometimes when an album surprises you in a good way like really surprises you sometimes at that time like we've only had a week this you're changes like, you kind of like and it changes all your whole perception sometimes you go five stars mm -hmm. and i'm not saying it's not a five star record because i'm only like very close to giving yeah. it five stars <laughs> but i just give it four and a half because it's just uh there was one or two things that maybe 
prevented it from just one or two little things that prevented it from being a masterpiece, but it's sure damn close. <laughs> and I recommend it to anybody, especially musicians who love to hear like people play their instruments like at the yeah. top of their form. Wow. Yeah. These guys are amazing. I did. Yeah. Stress at work. I put on this album. It goes away. <laughs> <laughs> it does, doesn't it? Like, there are times when you have to, you know, you listen to a record three or four times a week before we do the show, and there are yeah. records you put on that, if you're, not in, a good, if you're not in a good mood, they're kind of like, hey, that's cool, man. I try and get a listen early on in the week so that, you know, uh, depending on uh, whether I like it or not, I'll be listening to it more, but this was an everyday album. <laughs> See, this this is like a contradiction to the Country Joe and the Fish reunion album. Yeah. Um, where, you know, we play it and then I go like, yeah, that's all right, whatever. Do I have to listen to this again? Because <laughs> it doesn't bring me down, but it sure doesn't bring me up. Exactly. And then I did, you know, of course we have a job to do, so I did. But it was kind of mm-hmm. like, I kind of came in lackadaisical that, that, that show, yeah. you know? And this is an album, as you can hear by our voices, that just perks you up and energizes you because the energy off this album and the joyfulness of playing has to come through to to the listener it just has to yeah any kind of art uh, if uh, you enjoy what you're doing uh, the audience will see it and they will respond if you're just going through the motions uh, they'll also see it and respond but differently a <laughs> <laughs> la country join a la bora bora <laughs> well no maybe not that if far. you're looking if you're looking for negativity <laughs> bora bora is your guy <laughs> what do you think of elvis Oh, man, well, great singer, great songs, but a little bit fat. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty good for someone who did covers. (laughs) Bora Bora, we love you, but we won't have you on the show again. I respect him as much as I can. (laughs) I love, I love, I just love the comment, which he's used a couple of times, which is really good. If you like this, (laughs) (laughs) which is such a backhanded compliment. <laughs> you shouldn't be saying that if you don't like the stuff. <laughs> so uh, we're done. We're done with our Woodstock uh, celebration, and uh, we enjoyed it. Uh, but it was a bit too long. But I'm groovy. glad. You know, if it was three weeks, we might not have been listened to Santa. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this was a good way to close. This, this was a good way to close it. This this week at work was a good week at work. <laughs> <laughs> so remember, next time we're going to be on it'll be two weeks from now. Uh, you know, if if you don't know why we're taking breaks, uh, then you haven't been listening, and I'm not going to repeat it. We've we've already explained. We've already explained. Ask your friends who listen to the show and get them to tell you. But uh, but we'll be back in two weeks with a new theme and so much fun. Oh, because oh, I got so yeah, much yeah. fun planned. Now that the Woodstock's over, we can put in uh, other stuff. Yes, stuff that I don't haven't even thought of. <laughs> <laughs> but I know it's good, even though I have. <laughs> so uh, we'll see you in two weeks and uh, cheerio. Good day. I just write her on.